podcast is brought to you by soccer 90 the brand new fc dallas prime blue jerseys and pride pre-match tops are in stock now listeners of third degree yep you get 25 percent off on all your stuff at soccer 90.com just use your code specially designed just for you third degree at checkout Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, how you doing? I'm Peter, joined by my two amigos, Dan Crook. What's going on? It's been an interesting week. We should talk about it. (laughs) We should talk about it, Dan. And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, founder, editor of thirddegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Calling in today from my basement because I'm hiding from all the heat I got because um, of my article I wrote about the breakdown. <laughs> oh, did you catch some heat? Well, I mean, relatively speaking, I got more. I mean, you know, most of the time, FC Dallas fans are not particularly antagonistic. <laughs> you know, so even like one or two, and this to me anyway, and this time I at least got like two or three people maybe were like, you suck. And I was like, oh my, dude. Why did I said, think you? Wait, the team sucks. Why do they think yeah. you suck? Because I didn't say Hara was the worst player in the history of the world. All right, so let's <laughs> dig into this. Uh, it just all feels like it's coming apart at the seams, and the nosedive is about to happen. I just re- I want to remind everybody that MLS is, history is littered with teams that sucked at the beginning of the season. And if there's ever one weird little thing to think about, Dallas is terrible and Seattle is flying high, and it never goes that way. It always happens in reverse, and by the end of the season, Dallas is flatlined and Seattle's headed to another MLS Cup. So maybe, just maybe, this is all happening for a good reason. Yeah, they're not Chicago and Cincinnati. Maybe that's... (laughs) (laughs) They got five points at least. Sure. So, Uh, Peter, can you just clarify? Are you saying the FC Dallas are going to buy a a really good player in midseason that's going to turn it all around? Oh, sure, yeah. Some amazing South American that they spend actual money dollars on uh, in the transfer window, and he shows up and just starts balling out. Yeah, I, that that pretty much feels like what should happen at this point. I mean, that's, that's definitely what Seattle does. That's what Seattle would do. Yeah, WWSD. Well, if we didn't have such a full show, we could actually talk about like the four or five things that could happen that could turn the season around, but the we show's really full. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot to do. Yeah, let's start with it. Up in Minnesota at that beautiful little stadium, it was Minnesota 1, your Huntsman 0. And uh, I think that score somewhat belies the actual story of the game, Buzz. Well, what was your uh, story of the game then? Because I, I, you know, the overall one for me is the formation. But go ahead with what. Well, I wanna... just that I, I think Minnesota could have scored a thousand, a, a way more than one goal. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the, it could have. 
if they if you had told me that that game ended up being five nothing Minnesota, it wouldn't have surprised me. Not that Minnesota I thought was playing a a, a very good game because I both those teams are utter crap. Um, but one nothing on a goal and injury time wasn't exactly how I thought the game was actually being played out. Yeah, so there's multiple things that are happening that, uh, in terms of the tactics and the team and all that kind of stuff that was worth talking about. First is, of course, that there's a three five two now. Whether you like a three-man back line or not is a entirely different discussion. And right now, it's happening because they want to get Brisson in the game and they don't have a lights-out six. So you're getting a three-man back line. But given that it's a three-man back line, and I think some people misunderstood me and said, this is what I was asking for. Well, what I was asking for was a two-man front when you go three. Instead of three four three, you had to go three five two because you need that third central midfielder. It's just It had to happen. And so they did that. And that part... In the context of the three-man back line, that part was better. Now, the other big storyline, as you say, is that they're going on the road, and this is a team that stinks on the road. We've talked about it over and over. And they're going with a grinded-out mentality. They're sitting in a low block. They're giving the other team whole bunches of shots, most of which came from outside the box, which is, you know, we've had this discussion before about the validity of that tactic. Yet Dallas still had more of the ball. So, granted, Minnesota had more of the shots, I don't know how good most of them were, but you know, from Lucci's standpoint, he will tell you, and he tried to tell people post game, we were great in the first half. Now, I don't think they were great in the first half. They were okay in the first half, but their game plan to a certain extent worked up until the very end when it didn't. And this is something they've tried before. And it's probably something they're going to try again because right now they can't win for crap on the road. Well, okay. I saw Lucci's quote about it being one of the best first half performances, and I thought that's really grasping because it's almost like the tallest kidner, kindergartner compliment or something. Because if you compare it to every other first half of the first four games of the season, I suppose it was one of the best ones, but it still wasn't very good. They had one shot on goal the entire first half. And Dan, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but my hot sports opinion based on all the reaction I saw, was that with this 3-5-2, the problem, frankly, was not Frank O'Hara. It was Jair O'Brien. That was who really the problem in the formation was, being asking that guy to play so out of position. Uh, I like the uh, Jair O'Benitez. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he was... Uh, <laughs> he was completely a fish out of water. Um, timed his runs terribly, just didn't really know what to do and and uh, the off striker in that that front two kind of has that free role to lurk behind but he just i don't know maybe maybe freddie vargas caused the shots on the wings i don't i don't know because he just positionally just wasn't there uh obviously missed that wonderful opportunity when hara set him up with the open goal uh, missed a couple of, of nice sets from Hara, honestly. Um, yeah, I thought which I, reinforces what you said. Hara wasn't the problem. Hara no. actually played very well as as the guy leading the line. Hara played the position as if he had done it before, which he had. And yeah, Hara was offside five times, which was all a result of just him trying to overcome his slowness. Obreon's four offsides were all just bad positioning, bad timing, and just being completely unaware, unfamiliar with playing that position. Because, frankly, I, I did some research. I cannot find any record that tells me um, Obreon has ever played in a two-man striker form uh, formation before. Yeah, even if he had, that's you know that particular role is is not you know you know it, it's not as typical as just one guy sits behind the other, cleans things up. 
it's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of creative freedom on there and he just he just kind of lacked it Hara was offside because yeah they played a really high defensive line and as a slow guy he's got a cheat to kind of have any chance on it uh, but you know you saw the difference when Dante Seeley came in and actually kind of had the nuances of the position and you know he had that run almost immediately granted he got pushed outside to where the the shot was you know really harmless but you know he wasn't getting caught offside every five seconds yeah this is what i mean peter sorry this is what i meant when i said that hara wasn't the worst player in the game he was a perfectly reasonable nine and a three five two as you said he wasn't the problem he wasn't the worst player on the day there's a big big gap between good and not bad and i really said he wasn't bad you know he was mediocre which for hara is a step forward now is that worth 2.9 million dollars no 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 that's different uh, Dollar bang for the buck, he's the worst player on the field, yeah. but that's not how we do <laughs> no. that these days, right? No. No. And and it was and I and I just thought it was obvious from the onset that the two of them had never played with each other in that formation. And I just found it really weird. Look, I get it. You bring guys in from other countries with pedigrees and resumes, you feel like they've got to be on the field. But that was screaming to me to take Obreon off and put Pepe on. Pepe would have played that position so much better, and they probably would have gotten something out of it had he played people in positions that they are used to playing in. Yeah, Pepe could have played that spot, or even Hara's spot, if, and vice versa. Uh, Vargas can play that spot. Uh, for, obviously, Jesus Ferreira would be the real guy in that spot. Um, you know, that I think some of that is... They brought Obreon here to be a starter, and he didn't want to punish Obreon just because they were having to make an adaptation to get this extra midfielder on, in a sense. Whereas Vargas had played himself out of the lineup, Obreon hasn't. So, you know, there's some service to that there, I think. I, I agree that Obreon was the problem in this particular forward set. You know, that's that's clearly true. You know, one thing I was, I was disappointed was you know, even away from the lineup and, and, and the formation was, you know, Lucci came out and said, after the game said, oh, I lost in the last minute, you know, the stoppage time was excessive. You know, he always talks about not making excuses, not believing in luck. But I was thinking, well, that game was lost over the course of 90 minutes. It was just very, very lucky to get to nil-nil in the 93rd minute, uh, particularly with that, that penalty shout that I was very surprised uh didn't get given Um, that's that's my big problem with this formation and this tactic is that this this idea that we're going to grind it out it puts your team on the back foot in my mind also that's that was a winnable game yeah and you've gone there from minute one and said it's you know you you're you're fighting for a nil nil Okay, but uh, and the other th- because I I want to talk about some of the other stuff on the field, but the other glaring problem with this team is Monjoma, who I just kept talking to the television repeatedly. Every time he would receive the ball somewhere in the attacking half of the field, he'd have that slow ass Gaspar guy to beat who wasn't playing very well, and tons of space behind Gaspar, and Eddie would stop the ball, turn around, and pass it backwards, and I thought. Eddie, why aren't you attacking that space? And he just wouldn't do it. And I can't figure out if that's a confidence issue. If that is that a, is that a Lucci instruction issue? What what's going on there? Because that is a glaring problem to me, Buzz. Yeah, my my take is that they've spent you know so much time working with him on his defense because that was his weakness. I mean, we, we saw a guy at SMU 
who was arguably the best attacking outside back in the college game. SMU vacated like entire halves of the field to the guy. He was so good. Now, it's a huge step up to MLS, and I imagine that the overload of defensive instructions has made him you know, be more mindful of that thing and made him more negative and more conservative and try not to blow it and make a mistake, which, of course, is a problem because he is such a good attacker that he ought to be tearing that guy apart. And I think that it's pretty clear at this point that there's an issue with right back. It's why they keep trying to put Ryan over there to fix it, which, of course, doesn't fix it. You know, Manjoma is going to have to unfreeze his brain offensively and just play the way he's capable of be playing and he'll be fine. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of, we'll talk about it later, but there's not a lot of options other than him at this point at right back. So um, I agree that it's, it was like he ran into a brick wall. Like you said, he would get to that final third line and just turn around and go backwards. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're doing. Because, I mean, there's just tons of empty space. It's all the clear open opportunity to get in behind Minnesota. And it was it was like he was told not to go there. It was kind of funny. He was, he was on the media call today, and, and that, that definitely came up. I think Nico asked it. And, uh, you know, the answer he gave was very much like uh, Reggie in his early days of, I'm just trying to get the defensive aspect down. I'm trying not to overcommit and... You know, I know I need to learn these things. I had it down at SMU, but you know, NCAA and MLS are vastly different levels. And you know, he, he's definitely um, adjusting. But you know, he's what three games, three starts in, three, three. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe a sub and two starts in. Um, you know, he's he's definitely got some work to do, and and he had, uh, you know, as much as he had training sessions with Reggie and then Brian last season. He didn't get any. You know, he only got five games with North Texas to really kind of put any of that to use. Yeah, yeah you're looking at a guy that needs half a season, just like Reggie did, just like Brian did. You know, they need time to plan. You know, and he's not even as good as those two guys. So it, it'll come probably. We hope. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe just in my head uh, when Brian stepped in last year, he was at least attacking with the ball on a pretty regular basis. But maybe I'm. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Well, you know, Brian is an exceptional case. You know, he's such a good player that, and look at the level he's at now. I, you know, Mm -hmm. this is not that kid. This is a different kid. So, yeah. Um, Okay. Well, uh, you know, the other thing that I do want to talk about, although, you know, with the three, five, two, it put Ricarte, Tessman and Acosta back together in the center of the midfield. And while the three of them overall, I, you know, like the rest of the team didn't have an overall good game, we had another really promising start for Brian Acosta, who's put five really solid performances together. The team doesn't look any better. Again, that's this weird kind of uh, <laughs> lack of knock-on effect from this. But, yeah. man, Acosta really is playing quite well, and I wish we could see him play well along with the rest of the team. Yeah, he's playing exceptionally well, but he's playing like as this six-ish, eight-ish hybrid thing. Um, it's too bad there's not like a dominant six around because then they could just move him up the field and we, we, it probably would help the team tremendously. Um, Tanner is a six is not really working. Tanner is an eight is fine, you know, other than the fact he's 18. So um, uh, right now that midfield is as good as it's going to get unless they get a lockdown six and then it can be whoever this new player hypothetically might be and Acosta and Ricarte and then it, maybe things are different or maybe Paxton factors in there as well somewhere at certain points. Yeah, I was thinking about, I was looking at some of the stats, and Tespin, by my eye, uh, didn't have a great game, but he had the most tackles, he had the most pressures, he broke up the most dribbles. 
Um, maybe Tanner had a better game against Minnesota than I thought, although n- not what I was hoping for. Yeah, he's pretty good as a two-way, basically as a two-way player. Right now, he's just not making like the game-breaking pass, but neither is even Ricarte tried. Like Ricarte had like five or six occasions where he made a what I thought was a gorgeous pass only to have somebody miss time their run and be outside. So, you know, the whole thing, again, this it comes back to this idea we've been talking about all season where the midfield to the front line connection right now is not working. There's not enough touches for strikers and nines in general. Um, it's still a work in progress offensively. All right, so Dan, um, is there anything about Dallas's performance that you saw that you felt good about that you want to talk that you want to throw in here before we jump into the really hot, stinky part of the game that I want to scream and yell about? Uh, really, that it was over, and uh, you know they kind of have a bit of a, what they call a derby in some aspects uh, coming up that may kick them into life a little bit. Let's get stinky. Yeah, so the thing that I, I, I that really drove me nuts, and again, this may be even more bizarre than the decision he made last week to throw him in, was the substitution of uh, the Hungarian kid, Schoen. Uh, and the reason why this may have been even more bizarre is that he subbed him in at wingback. And I... I it was as clear today to me, as clear as day to me. Within seconds, that dude has no idea how to play that position. And sure enough, Minnesota figured that out about as fast as they could, and they just kept driving at him relentlessly, and it finally paid off. Yeah, this is one of the worst um, subs I've ever seen FC Dallas make, which is saying something. Uh, I don't understand this at all. Now, apparently, they've he's played some outside back somewhere but that's not the same as wing back and i don't know that i don't know that he trained this way this week i one of the things i when i i I did tease earlier that i did talk to lucci so one of the things we talked about was this sub and the idea apparently was to attack back at them down that wing and make them sit back well shown spent so much of his own time sitting back on his tail because he was getting spun like a top that effect that he became a completely ineffective attacking. And as you say, they overloaded that side the rest of the game. Both I think both Paxson and Dante Seeley tried to come help out and it didn't get any better. You know, it, it just was an absolute disaster of a sub. And forget about the part where it put Ryan Hollings at it right back again, which is of always horrible these days. But um you know, the bottom line was this is a the continued forcing of Sean into games is ridiculous. And and I think I think there's some recognition on the part of the coaching staff, certainly, and Lucci, certainly, that this was a mistake, and they know it was a mistake. They may not come out and say it out 100% directly, but I think they know they blew this one. It's kind of funny. I mean, I know, like, obviously, we had different conversations. You had a, a, a one-on-one at practice, and, uh, you know, I was on the media call. But when he got on that, talking about the subby, it was kind of a bit withdrawn about it, like, you know, as I say, yeah, hold my hands up, but without actually saying it. It just kind of said, you know, uh, Ryan had been carrying a knock, so Shun had uh, been in the rotations at left wing back in the week, and, and he kind of saw something he liked about how he could, you know, really bring it to to the defense uh, up the left-hand side, and I guess that, you know, he just didn't get to see that in the game. Uh, but, you know, we... You know, after the game, he was talking about, you know, he's played there before. I think we looked it up and he'd played twice at left back in a in a back four for MTK. So, you know, left wing back, you're asking so much more on in terms of 
where you come inside, how often you stay outside, where you commit forward and back. It's you know, it's only a small movement up the pitch. But when Lucci talks about the difference in roles, that's kind of you know night and day. Yeah, there's two parts of this that I want to talk about. Um, so don't let me forget to go back to the second one. The first one is is the fact that Lucci as a coach, um, and we all have to give him some room for growth, is this weird, um, almost like mandate, an idea that he has that he's always talking about, about fle- player flexibility, positional flexibility. And, and, and in this game in particular, putting Obreon at striker, a position that he is clearly not, used to playing with a guy he's not used to playing that position with throwing shown in on at wing back asking Ryan to play on the right side of the field uh, there are multiple instances where he's putting people out of position because I think he mentally thinks they should be able to do it but it's it's coming at the detriment of his team and and I and there's a part of me that wonders it, are, do the other coaches or does anybody else identify this because I feel like Lucci's the head coach of one of 30 MLS teams. This is a pretty limited opportunity, pretty high-level opportunity, and all of these things seem clearly obvious to you and me, Buzz and Dan, and we're just ding-dongs with a podcast. How is this not obvious to them, too? And I don't. this is the part I don't get. Well, uh, I think Lucci sometimes overthinks things a little bit. You know, he takes these conceptual ideas and thinks, man, this is going to be a great idea. It's going to work. Uh, and sometimes they don't. And the other is um, something I've expressed before, which is a little bit of a uh, academy mentality that you can just take your best player and put him anywhere, you know, which is true. Like you can take Tanner Testman when he was with the U19s. You literally can play him in any position on the field, and they did. Uh, I don't think that's true as a pro. In my extensive, you know, non-coaching world, once you get to the pro level, and this is the kind of thing where somebody like my dad would ask me, how come you say that guy's only a right back? I mean, you can play him wherever you want, right? No, that's your rec team that does that. At the pro right. level, you have to be hyper-specialized. Like a friend of mine who's just learning the game of soccer, the other day he asked me how I know somebody's a right back versus a right mid or whatever. And I said, well, how do you know somebody's a shortstop versus a second baseman? And he's like, oh, I get it. Well, in your sport, you get it and you know, right? So in the, at the pro level, you need to be hyper-specialized to be that good at one particular thing. Yes, there are examples of guys. You can put them anywhere on the field. I'm sure you can put Messi at right back. I mean, why you would want to, I have no idea. But I'm sure you could. You know, And so it's that kind of thinking, that idea that like I'm going to take my best dudes and put them wherever I want. You, really, you can't really do that. I mean, there are guys that can do a couple of spots, but there's not guys that can play pretty much anywhere on the field. Even Ryan Holling said, we joke that he does that, but it's not like he's great at those other positions when he does that. I mean, it's it's not, he doesn't get red carded. They don't score 15 goals on him, but it's not good. Okay, but here's my next question. Who's kind of second in command to Lucci? Is it Peter Lucene? No, it's Mikey. Um, Mikey, uh, is it Varus? Yeah. Oh, okay. That kind of ruins the point I was trying to make, which was, isn't somebody on the sideline grabbing Lucci by the sleeve and going, are you sure you want to do this? Or is Lucci of some sort of status that nobody questions his decision-making? Because I know he's the head coach, but in reality, Lucci on paper, especially compared to Peter Lucene, they're kind of like the same guy. 
Lucine's got the better resume and played at a higher level. I, I would think somebody should be brave enough to go to Lucci and go, yeah, I don't think this is a good idea. Well, here's my read of the FC Dallas staff. Mikey is Lucci's buddy from coaching academies. Who is Mikey Vargas? Vargas. Vargas. Who, who is he? I don't know. He's got an A pro license or whatever. He and Lucci he was, met going through school together. He was uh, academy director at one of the clubs in Arizona. Um, I think Lucci played against them a few times, really liked his style and um, pitched for him to get a job with Dallas. He's got a really good resume. I don't have any complaints about him being on the staff, but he's Lucci's right-hand guy. He's his yes man. He's his buddy. That's fine. Peter was an academy coach that had played for the team that Lucci had brought up to the first team. So again, Lucci brought him in, right? That's, that's really it. And they've, mm. they've, they've got Chewy working with him. Who's the former U19 coach, right? They've got the keep the keeper coach uh, drew who they kept around, who they've actually given a lot of responsibility to beyond goalkeeping coaching. So that's, it's those four guys mainly though. The, the, and we talked about this when they hired him, Peter, that they didn't bring in a John Ellinger to his, Charles Hyman, right? They didn't keep somebody on his bench that would be the guy that over his shoulder and go, that's stupid, don't do that. Right. He, he doesn't have a guy to do that. All right, so this leads me to my second part of this conversation, which is there's just something about the addition of this guy to the roster that, and this is the conspiracy theorist in me, and I apologize to any podcast listener that's rolling their eyes and going, oh, there he goes again, which is there's just something weird about this whole shown signing because not only has he, like, in the most untypical FC Dallas style, showed up and immediately been put into the game. Because, you know, we used to, there used to be a time and a day where we all fussed about the fact that they signed somebody they were all excited about, yet they never got into games until they had been here for like three months and the season was almost over. Remember those days? Yeah. Um, and so now here's a guy, he shows up within a day or two, he's starting a game. And then today, the most amazing thing happened. The media team started putting out content about him, and they had an interview with him. And I thought to myself, I think this is good content, but I've never seen them do this for a signing before. Like when they signed Frank O'Hara, did they do this? Did they do it for Vargas? Did they do it for Obreon? Did they do it for um, anybody else they've added to the team recently? And it just made me wonder, what else is going on here? Or am I just making this up for drama's sake? Well, I can tell you that having talked, having talked to Lucci today, I actually asked him about this kind of concept, concept. And the short answer is that Lucci in particular is just really, really hyped about the guy's ability. And the organization seems to be really, really hyped about this guy's ability. You know, the fact that he's going to be in the Euros, the fact that they think he's a big-time prospect and going to be an amazing player or already is an amazing player. Now, we could talk about whether that's true or not in a minute. Um one of the things to remember here, Peter, is that he actually speaks some level of English. And all those other five guys that you mentioned don't. So it's hard to media splash those guys all over the place when they can't do an interview. Whereas this Yeah, kid I disagree with you on that. I, I'm not saying it's hard to do in reality. I'm saying it's hard for them to do. They don't. Yeah. When, when do they ever hype Spanish-only speaking players or Portuguese-only speaking players? Think about the Brazilians that you get to see interviewed. It's Brasson because he speaks English. And Jose Martinez, who can kind of do a little bit of English. And that's it. When do we get gotten Philippe? No English, no, no interviews. When do you ever get Brian Acosta? No English, no interviews. Right? You, can, you get Brian Acosta all the time if you can speak Spanish. And they don't have anybody on their staff that can write or do stories or do video stories that speak Spanish. 
So no hype for no span, no English, no hype. When they did, they would uh, nix those stories. So, you know, they evidently didn't want to appeal to that market. All right. Well, that's a different thing for a different conversation and another maddening thing that drives us nuts about this club. Uh, all right. So uh, maybe they're just picking up on the opportunity because the kid speaks English. But it just feels like to me there's a whole level of business going on here that is completely unrelated to the success of the on-field product. But maybe, again, that's just me making crap up. I wondered about that until I until I had this conversation with Lucci today, and now I don't wonder about that. They really just think the kid's amazing. Did he did he go into any detail about how he was scouted or what no. about his game that they really like, or or is this a, a recommendation oh, from some dude they know in Hungary? Not the scouting or the recommendation, but the part of his game that they liked. Um, you know, he said talked about how he's a real true out and out winger. He's not this underneath false swinger like Vargas. So there's a change of pace there. They, they talked about his ability to get to the end and get balls in. They talked about, about his ability. He, Lucci, I say they, Lucci. Um, they talked about his ability on the ball. You know, they talked about the fact that he'll actually play some defense, which I haven't seen that part yet. But, you know, they're just really hyped about him. And he's only, what is he, only 20? So that's, I mean, I, my opinion is different than his, obviously. So, you know, some of these other ideas that maybe they're trying to do a quick flip for money. I mean, maybe a... Maybe Zanata wants to do that, but that's not the way Lucci's looking at this guy. Lucci's looking at him like he's a legit high-level piece that they've got in. They're trying to get him in as fast as possible. All right. Well, before we uh, move on to uh, your you know, pra- your report from practice and, and other things to talk about, any more about Minnesota 1, Dallas 0? Not particularly, other than I think short of a some sort of signing to change the midfield composition like a real six, short of that, I think you're going to see this three-man back line, probably three-five-two on the road uh, a fair bit as they try and grind out games. I don't think you'll see it; won't see it at home. I think it'll be on the road that you'll see it because you know all the reasons why Lucci did it are still in play. Nothing has changed after that game. It's going to make you think, "Oh, that I'm not, I'm not doing that." Because he, remember, he says he thinks it worked. He thinks they almost had that game. Okay, I mean. I, I disagree, but... So do you think Lucci went into that game hoping to get a draw? Yeah, or steal it with a goal late. Yeah, that was the idea. Grind it out on the road. Like, listen, he's desperate to get any kind of points on the road. They've been terrible on the road. They're, he's trying oh, He's trying seven. anything he can do to try and get some kind of result on the road. And maybe that's the way you start, by grinding out a point or two. Maybe then you can start to get some confidence, because right now they're totally blown on the road, basically. Yeah. Uh, we'll update the record. Lucci is now five wins, six draws, and 18 losses yeah. in his uh, tenure as manager of Dallas. Wow. Dan, any notes you'd like to uh, make about the game that we didn't talk about? None whatsoever. Okay. Well, then we'll drop it. And move on, as Buzz did go to practice today, and uh, as you teased so smartly on the social (laughs) media today, you did have a one-on-one 30-minute conversation with Lucci for the first time in over a year. Oh, yeah. And before you get to that, I do. We're, I'm going to step back to the shown thing and ask you: When you saw practice, did you see anything from that dude's game in practice that made you feel better? Uh, And uh, you know. Did he look injured from being unscrewed from the Minnesota yeah. turf? Well, he looks really fit. It looks like he came in in great shape. I don't see a player that dominates play, but I see a guy that has a lot of potential. Like I, He looks like, to me, like a super exciting prospect. Like If you'd have just told me this is a kid out of the academy we just pulled up, 
I'd be ecstatic. There's tons of ability here. It's not, um, not I was going to say organized, that's not the right word. It's not in sync with the team yet. It's not um, polished and it's not complete, but there are moments of greatness. And then there are moments of like, I don't know what the hell is going on, you know, because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. So it's very hot and cold, very hit and miss, super excited based purely on what I see, super excited about some potential there. Is he going to revolutionize major league soccer over the next four months? I don't, I don't think so, but you know, I put him up there with um, some of the, you know, even more higher than Vargas in terms of like my thinking of like, oh, this kid's going to be something. Probably almost up is where maybe like the first sometimes I saw Jesus or Paxton. It's that good, but it's that raw in the sense of like a couple of years ago. You know, I think with time, I think he's going to be fine. My complaints are how they're forcing him in, not the kid himself or acting like he's, you know, acting like you just signed Messi. <laughs> you know, it's right. like it's not, it's not, it's a 20 year old kid. You know, let's, let's stop putting the world on him. But he but he would officially play the wide left position in a 3-4-3 formation, not a wing back in a 3-5-2. Oh, yeah, or he's definitely. A, or in a 4, uh, in the 4-2-3-1, he plays the, you know, wide advanced yeah. left position. Okay. High left wing, yeah. Same mm-hmm. position Vargas has been playing. Same position where with, um, Muscara played last year, Fava Pico played last year. That high left wing, that's the spot. Do you know if he's left or right or both footed? Uh, he wasn't noticeably one-sided one way or the other. I would imagine he's a lefty because Lucci did talk about his ability to cross mm-hmm. as one of the factors they like about him. But um, I didn't notice. It's kind of like when you watch Tanner play where he can play with both, but then I wasn't looking for that. So Yeah, interesting. It's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if you watched the, uh, the interview that uh, Garrett did, but, uh, you know, uh, Shun talked about for MTK, you know, he played kind of more as that inside winger, uh, that that false like like Freddie Vargas type of winger, um, you know, where he's cutting inside. So it's wholly possible he's cutting. You know, he's used to cutting into his right on that, and now he's kind of playing up outside and inside. And you know, then you see those moments where he gets a bit confused about it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do that a lot today. He mostly stayed wide. Um, Today was a lot of mid-block press work, which can be make for a very chaotic environment, you know, and they're directing him about when to press and how to step in and all that kind of stuff. So they're working with him and the whole team on these defensive rotations for the uh, today was mid-press. So, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of good possibility there. There's a lot of things that are intriguing. I mean, I, you know, purely on what I saw, I'm excited, but um, I'm not. I'm not excited. That, like, oh, is he going to start this weekend? Because he's so ready. I mean, no, no. Excited <laughs> by what you saw yeah. in practice today, not what you saw yeah. in his two appearances in actual games. Yeah, I, he looked better in practice today than he looked in the damn game. He looked terrible in both games. Like the first game, I thought he has no clue where to go, and this second game, he has no clue how to defend. Well, today I actually saw a player that, like, oh, yeah, okay, fine, in the mix, great. You know, is he ready to start? No, no way. But. You know, I, I see a player that's that looks like he's got game. You know, so yeah. You know, not not like I'm going to totally turn my team over and build the squad around him, but great piece. You know, over the course of the season, let's see what you got. Well, what you know, what makes his addition to the roster so confusing is the number of people that they, in theory, have that are supposed to be able to play that position, and it's been the position that is you know drove 
most of us that are fans of this team nuts for seasons now. And related to all of that is that, that shown aside, the person that's supposed to be playing that position is Paxton, who did make an appearance in the game again against Minnesota. His effect on the game was pretty nominal. Um, but then in your tease today, you did say that Paxton was not at training. And I damn you, Buzz, if you give me bad news, I'm going to be <laughs> so crushed. Well, let's talk first about the number of left wings. The amount of left wings they have and the and the limited amount of center backs they have is how you know that the 3-5-2 is not the real formation for this team. If you really were going to play that way, you wouldn't have 18 wings and you would have you would have a hell of a lot more than 3 center backs. So that's all a f- factor of why that formation doesn't work. But where is Paxton? That's a good question that I specifically asked. Turns out that Paxton uh, on I, I can't remember whether it was Monday, I think, basically got a bonk on the head. And so at the time was fine. And then after training, he was like, I feel a little dizzy. So they checked him out and they held him out Tuesday as a precaution. But Tuesday, he's 100% fine. He has no concussion symptoms. He has no dizziness at all. They just held him out for two days because it's Paxton. And they want to be super paranoid careful because it's Paxton right he's fine wrap him in tissue it's kid gloves they got him in a glass case Wednesdays wait when you say when you say bonk on the head like he hit it on the Uh, cabinet door or bonk in a a training session no he jumped up with somebody and like maybe like his he headed somebody's shoulder or something they said it wasn't even a big deal and like I didn't even think about anything of it until he said he was a little bit dizzy like later in the day well you know with Paxton that could have been heat and overwork (laughs) because it's Paxton as much as you know how he is, you know, yeah. so they, they've got him in a glass case wrapped in bubble wrap. He's fine. You know, he's being trans taken by armored car to the next game. So be safe. Listeners think that Buzz is exaggerating, but Baxton is currently in a bubble wrap suit Yeah, <laughs> in his apartment Yeah, strapped to his bed. Yeah. They don't let him out much anymore. He's the <laughs> bubble boy. No, you know, they're, they're so paranoid about the kid. Basically, they were like, let's just sit him out for a couple of days just to be careful. So he's fine. All right. Any other stuff from before we get into the conversation with Lucci? Let's just uh, clear off the, the practice slate. Make sure you get yeah. all those notes in. Well, Kenny Cooper was around dressed in full FC Dallas coaching gear. Uh, he wasn't coaching. I think he's done this before where he's talked to them about letting him come observe. He's learning. He wants to learn. Wait, Kenny Cooper is a full kit wanker. He just shows yeah. up at practice. He's like the hardcore fan of all fans and shows yeah. up in full FCD regalia and hangs out. Here's my funny thought I had about Kenny Cooper today when I was watching him. Uh, I remembered at the end of Oscar's era when Kenny's like, can I come give it one last shot? And they were like, yes. And I watched him train and I watched him compete for a couple of weeks. And it struck me that that reminds me of Frank O'Hara. Oh, that's and I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> So because as Dan referred to it last week, that wasn't the good turn time. Yeah. It was with the club. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. So I had that thought when I was watching Cooper today because he was just, you know, helping out, chasing balls and stuff. Um, Jesus Ferris showed up and was jogging. So that's good. You know, moving around. That's good. Um, Nicosi how, Tafari, more, how, how long before he's back? Do we have any idea? I don't know. Soon. It was supposed to be like any time, you know, basically. So he's out jogging. So it's got to be close. Okay. Um, you know, they may just be want to be careful with him because listen, they need him badly. So, Lucci the- did say he's still in danger of re-injuring it. He's got to mm. do some rehab, build the muscle up around that shoulder. Yeah, mm. it might be a little longer then if that's true. 
Um, Nikosi Tafari showed up at training and I've never seen a more dejected guy in my life. He basically sat in a chair with his head in his hands for about 30 minutes. Why? I I think he's just gutted because he's hurt again. And, you know, at a terrible time when they only have three center backs. What injury does he have? Uh, I don't remember what it is. Dan, do you remember? Thigh or a quad, I think. Yeah. Something that's to do with movement. I think they had to bring over the new, uh, center back from North Texas Kaiser. They brought him over to fill in in training today. So it's like, I just feel bad for Nikosi because I really like him and, and he's having the worst luck and it's just not going well for him. You know, and guys that are older like that, that come out of college, they only get a season or two. That's that spins back to Manjoma too. That guy's on a contract that's about to be up other than bonus uh, options. So it's like, you know, clock's ticking when you're a senior out of college, you know, it's not an Academy kid, different world. So, um, that's it in terms of like stuff I witnessed that was worth talking about. Um, other than we can get into the RSL prediction if you want, and then talk about talking to Lucci. Well, no, let's talk about, it. I'm, I think everybody's uh, tuned in to hear about the, the first convert one-on-one exclusive yeah. conversation mm. with Lucci that you've had in what is it's, what is it? It's had to have been a year, right? Yeah. It's, it's gotta be at least a year. Cause it, even before that, Rarely was Lucci there with just me. I mean, there's almost always other people around before the pandemic. So it's been a long time since I've talked to him just by myself. Um, my overall takeaway uh, is that... He hates you. No, 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 no. Well. <laughs> surpri- he was surprisingly friendly. I thought, I thought he might trash me, you know, after I have been a little critical lately. He was very friendly. So, you know, good for him that he's not reading it. Um, my overall takeaway is that Lucci is very much in a mindset right now and this is my opinion from talking to him. He's in a mindset that he has the roster that he has and he's doing the best he can with the roster that he has, that he knows that there are some problems, both in terms of like a hole that you want to fill and in terms of dead weight and albatross contracts. And that, you know, like uh, I'll equate it to when Cobra, remember when we talked about how shit Cobra was for six months, he was utter garbage and Lucci never gave up on him. Lucci doesn't give up on people. So Lucci will work his tail off and try and try and try to get these guys to come good. You know, so he's going to keep trying to get Franco Hara to come good and maybe he'll work it out and maybe he'll look like a genius like he did with Cobra. And we all were wrong about Cobra. So, you know, whatever player you want to talk about on the field, Lucci's not going to give up on him. He's going to keep working and he's going to try and do the best he can with the roster that he has that he didn't build. And some of it comes from the fact that generally speaking, he has the most, hands-on owner in the entire league name another owner that has an office in the park and that it meets with you every single day the owner not the technical director too the owner every single day wants to come and meet you and talk to you and wants to hear who's playing where and doing what and the numbers that go with this that and the other thing dan hunt is the most hands-on owner in the league okay so you got to deal with that and i think that was my overall takeaway from talking to lucci about every issue he has were those two things you know what that sounds – I listening to you describe that, uh, the first thing that came to mind was exactly the impression I would come away from in my one-on-one conversations with Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, Oscar's in the same – was in the same boat. You know, Clavijo and, or, and then Ormuzi made, the, made the, the moves and or Dan Hunt too. And every day, here's Dan Hunt. He wants to know what's going on. All right. You know, he's now president here, of the team. Yeah, but here's where I think things diverge from Lucci to Oscar. Oscar somehow was able 
And Steve Davies used to talk about this. He was the first one that really brought it up and and really made me aware of it. And I think did a and did a good job of trying to make sure people understood what was happening with Oscar, which the amount of success that Oscar was able to achieve with this club, with which was by all accounts known across the league as one of the worst rosters possible to be working with. And I think when you think about the the way that Lucci is lining this team up and the players he has at his disposal, we can talk about how messed up the roster is, but I would also throw some shade at Lucci in that he is largely at fault for putting the team in the formations and using the tactics that he's using. Because I think there's a better team buried in this mess than he's putting on the field. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, You know, I don't think he's by any means... I mean, listen, you compare him to Oscar is ridiculous. Oscar is the best close coach this club's ever had. And I think he's one of the great coaches I've ever known and one of the great people I've ever known. You know, and I, I, I like a lot about Lucci, but he is definitely not Oscar. And he would tell you that he's not Oscar. You know, we all know that he's in probably a decade too early in this job. You know, I, did we say that already in this podcast? Because, you know, he's learned every single time he makes a mistake, he admits it, says, I made a mistake. And he learns and hopefully he moves on. And some of the stuff that he should have learned as an assistant or should have learned coaching North Texas, he's learning coaching FC Dallas. And he makes mistakes, and it's not perfect, and it is what it is, you know? No, I understand. And please, please, I want to make sure that I'm communicating what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make very clearly. Lucci and Oscar were facing the same difficulties coaching this team in this club for this ownership, right? Yeah. They both have had to deal with really crummy rosters or what they felt like were not the rosters of what they wanted. Oscar, being far more experienced and uh, probably overall a better coach, was just more successful at making getting good results out of a bad situation. Lucci, having very little experience, is struggling doing that. And part of the reason why, I think, is that he's just getting some of his decisions wrong yep. um, in, in, in that process. I, and I agree with you, Buzz. It's not Lucci's fault. He took a job he wasn't ready for hell. My entire career is made up of me taking gigs. I wasn't the right person. You know, I wasn't qualified for when I took them. So I get it. I understand it. I don't, it doesn't make me dislike the guy. I just don't think I'm just worried. He's in over his head. Yeah. I'm not going to go as far as say in over his head, you know, when I, because I've talked to him enough and especially even today that, you know, there's a recognition for a lot of these problems and his ideas about how to fix them. Now, some of them would be different than what you and I would do, but he's the guy with the job. And, and I agree that it could be better. I definitely agree with that. I mean, we just spent 20 minutes talking about the Sean sub, you know, and we can could, we could talk all day about not putting people in positions they're not capable of playing. Stop putting Ryan all over the field. Stop putting him at right back. Leave him at left back. You know, stop trying to play guys in like 18 different positions. Pick a guy, pick a position, play the guy there, let it be good at the one thing, and then move on. You know, it's... So there's lots of things at fault, but, you know, and I think there's a chance that he can turn this thing in a positive direction. You know, I don't think he can get it to the top four, not without some pretty heavy, I mean, he had to come good in like six things without to come good, but yeah, um, you know, a, a couple of things positive go the right direction and this team will be bad, much significantly better than bottom of the table. You know. All right. Now, I don't and I'm going to ask this question only because it's been asked of me multiple times uh, in the last few days, uh, but it's going to feel like dogpiling. But I'm I'm going to do it because I think it's the responsibility of this particular production. 
how much rope do we think the hunts give Lucci in this position? You mean like before he gets fired? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot. What's a lot to you? Um, I, you know, I, I think even if he finishes at the bottom of the table, I don't think he'd get fired. You know, the, the thing is, is that, and I've said this before, I think, that Lucci's two biggest influences are Shellis Hyman and Oscar Pereja, right? He's like, he is like the embodiment of everything FC Dallas thinks they are. The academy, those two head coaches, Clark at SMU, Preha with this club, being the heart and soul of this club for 15 years. Those are his two biggest influences. He was a pretty good academy director. They like that idea. You know, everything about this club now is develop academy guys or sign young dudes like Sean, develop them and sell them. Bring in Philippe, develop them and sell them. You know, this is what they do. And Lucci, in their minds, I think Lucci embodies that. So it would have to go really south and be clearly his fault for them, I think, to pull the trigger. I, I don't think he's going anywhere, no matter how bad this team is. Dan, you got any thoughts on that? No, I think uh, Buzz is kind of put it perfectly, really. <laughs> All right. Well, I agree with you, and I certainly don't think uh, he needs to lose his job. I'm not on that train. Uh, I And I certainly don't think this is a last place. I don't think this team is as bad as last place. I said I think there is a good team in here, and I certainly – can see a script where things, you know, they add a couple of players that Argentinian six that we keep hearing a rumor about. Maybe he turns out to be a solution. You know, I still, I, I'm still convinced all of the problems in this team are tied to whoever made the decision to sell Santos. I don't know if that was Santos demanding to leave. I don't know if they just saw a million bucks and said, we got to have the money. I don't know what the decision was. Nobody's ever explained it. I don't even know if we've ever asked the question officially. But I'm convinced all of the problems start and end there. Oh, I've asked officially. I don't have an on-the-record answer. Um, <laughs> <I can't>. Okay. <laughs> What's the off-the-answer record? Can you share that? No. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is that I think... If you were to, if you were to describe the answer as a color, <laughs> would it be like a, a, a yellow or oh, a no, red? Or, yeah, no, a, purple. Oh, yeah, oh purple. like bruise purple? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> what, what I, what I, the overwhelming, uh, vibe I'm getting, the longer Andres Zanata is here, the more I feel like Andres Zanata is a ruthless business guy. And he's been, and I think he's been told by the hunts, we don't make money in the stands. We make money in the Academy. And if you can figure out how to make money with player moves, we love you because, there's a lot more moves happening where you're like, boy, there's a dollar component to that that we haven't seen before. Whether it's this loan for Philippe that couldn't have a buy, you know, if the Olympics thing would have panned out, which it hasn't. There's this showing with the Euros coming up. There's the sell of Tiago Santos when you're like, well, they got a million bucks for a 31-year-old six. Great. You know, there's there's a ruthless business component to what they're doing these days, I think. And I think it comes from Sonata. And in a way, that's a little bit of a disconnect from the idea of like, we're going to have this team that's going to compete. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you're, because now they're a selling club, right? Luigi says it. They're a selling club. They're a developing club. That's what they are. So <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, man. I, the answers aren't like, what we want, but I know. It's like a restaurant saying, we're a fast food restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, we listen. microwave our burgers. 
I mean, Dan knows what a selling club is. You know, know what a selling club I is. Know. We know. But what do a those selling... do those clubs call themselves selling clubs in public? Some of them do, don't they? Do they? Yeah, some kind of uh, you know get backed into a corner and have to. I don't think anyone's ever said it with a point of pride, though. Listen, we joke that they want to be Ajax, but that's what they want to be. And I, you know, everyone always says, "Well, win something." Oh yeah, no, well, listen, that's the part that they're not doing right. But that's Ajax outspends all the other teams in the Eredivisie by like a factor of ten or sure, something like that. Okay. We'll pick a different example. And they want to be West Ham. They want to be who else has got a great academy? They want to be they want to be the team that has a great academy and that can compete. And that's what Luton they're trying Town. to. Yeah, they're they're trying their damnedest. They're trying their damnedest to be a developing club that can compete. You know, it's it's not the LAFC model. It's not the Red Bulls model. They're trying their damn to make right. this model work. I'm not saying they're going to work, but everything they do fits this model. The, the difference is, and, and you know what Peter mentioned, Luton. Luton is actually a very good example of a selling club. Luton would always do something like produce a guy like Matthew Upson or Jack Wilshere or John Hartson, any number of players down the years. Uh, James Justin and Jack Stacey are... Uh, uh, Leicester and Bournemouth uh, last year produce a bunch of guys in the knowledge that you're going to sell them and that the sale that you get is basically what pays for your season but have a guy behind that ready to go not sell the right back sell the replacement right back not really have anyone quite ready to assume the mantle meanwhile okay now we've got a left winger that we can uh, put in the shop window you know that's there's there's a, there's a selling club to stay afloat, and there's a, a selling club because you want to say you've got the most shiny assets. Now we, we've heard Dan Hunt say before that they consider themselves to be a stepping stone club now, like they have that reputation, you know, in South America that they're seen as a club that you can come to and then move on, you know. So they they love that. Dan loves that. Their owner loves it. So it's what it is. Yeah. All right. I'm not saying you and I love it. I'm just trying to explain. <laughs> you know, it's what we do. Well, we go back to Frisco Saturday night at 7 p.m. Real Salt Lake marches into town, and uh, you know, I who the hell knows what's going to happen. Buzz, uh, yeah. are we? Uh, why don't you? Are you expecting wholesale changes, or you think they're going to go back to the three-four-three? Do they go no. back to a two-man back line? What, are the, what, what, <laughs> what do we do here? Well, it'll be a four-three-three. Uh, you know, some variation of the four-three-three. Whether it's a double-six or you know, single-six is to be determined. Today was an interesting day because um, for one of the rare occasions, Lucci did a hundred percent intermixed teams. Usually, you can see that one of the teams is the first eleven. Today was not like that. Today was a complete mix. Guys playing in combination I've never seen before, but I still was able to pick out some groupings and so i kind of have a prediction that it's going to be a back four um and that it'll be ryan and martinez and hedges and Munjoma across the back um interesting jimmy mauer didn't really participate very much in training today so i think he's still questionable so it'll be philippe mm. i imagine like in the full scrimmage today it was the two north texas keepers it was sanchez and and um shuttler it's like even philippe got held out so you know, they obviously know they're down basically to one and a half keepers. So they're protecting Philippe, basically. Um, so that's the back four. And then the midfield, 
um, will certainly be Ricarte and Acosta. And then from what I was able to pick up on both talking to Lucci and watching, there's a competition essentially between Edwin Cerillo and Tanner Testman. Is Edwin going to play as a six and move Acosta up or is Tanner going to start as the eight again? So that's the one question in midfield. And then the only other question, because it's going to be um, based on what I saw today, it'll be Vargas and O'Brien again with the only other spot in competition being Pepe and um, Hara. And that definitely is in competition. They're, they're trying to manage Hara's workload because he's a thousand years old. So he doesn't, they pulled him out at the end, basically, you know, trying to work his, you know, protect him and not from overworking because he does work hard. I'll give the guy that he does work hard in practice. So they're trying to load management him a little bit. Pepe worked more with Obreon and Vargas today than Hara did, but I think you can't read too much of that on a Wednesday. Um, so basically those are the two things. Is it Pepe or Hara? And is it uh, Tanner or um, Shario? And the reason it's Tanner or Shario is just, can I get Acosta further up the field? It's not that Tanner stinks. It's just, if if I'm going to move Acosta up, it means I need a six. So I'm kind of surprised you didn't say that you thought Sean would start on the left this week. No, I don't think so. Not based okay. on what I saw in training today. I don't think he's going to start this week. I mean, I'm sure he'll be on the bench, and I'm sure he'll be one of the early guys in. Um, I, Vargas played a little in the central midfield today, too, which he's done a couple of times, which looks kind of interesting. But um, the other fun thing was Benny Redzik played right back, which is weird. <laughs> that was just a practice thing. Um, I did find out some more about Emma Tuomasi, which I thought was fascinating. Apparently, whatever the deal was with his heart, I'm not even going to try and tell you what it was. What it meant was he had to shut down all physical activity for two months. So he couldn't even jog, kick a ball, nothing for two months. And so he effectively missed all of spring training. So that's why you haven't seen him. He's like, he's nowhere near the player that he was at the end of last season. He's nowhere near actually being fit because he sat around and did nothing for two months. So um, he's kind of, that's what I meant earlier when I said it, it's Munjomar nothing. Emma's not even close to being able to really play and contribute, even though he's technically healthy. So if it's not Munjoma, it's going to have to be, I mean, I don't even know, more Ryan, I guess. So that's why Munjoma's getting such a run, and partially because there's nobody else to play over there, really. Okay, so um, what do we know about Real Salt Lake? I know they're a couple of points ahead, and, the, and if I'm reading this correctly, have they had a weird uh, where they've played three of their first? They just come, they, they just came off a three game homestand. They started well. They beat Minnesota early in the season in Minnesota, but they've kind of dried up a little bit, tying Nashville at home last week. It's only their second road game of the year this weekend will be. So Yeah, that's crazy. They look a little better than they we thought because they've been playing at home. So I'm not sure you know what you're going to get. They got a lot of homegrowns, so it's the big homegrown derby, as Dan called it. <laughs> the big hunger, but for, well, but that uh, was actually Lucci and and uh, someone from RSL on the call. They were talking about you know Lucci and uh, and uh, Juarez, the uh, RSL coach, are very good friends from their their time doing their coaching badges together and opposite each other in the academy. Uh, Eddie Manjoma was talking about you know th- these are guys that they all know that they've played against for years and it kind of goes back to that academy mentality anytime they they get to play them. 
Well, Dallas owns a superior record of uh, 10 wins and 8 draws over uh, Salt Lake. Salt Lake's only won six times in the matchup. Mm. Um, and that game, again, is at 7 o'clock at Toyota Stadium, and I believe it's on uh, TX21 again. Yeah, it is. Uh, so there you go if you want to watch that or come out. And the big game. Spanish uh, local broadcast, Peter, too. They made a big deal about that this week. Why did they make a big deal of that this week? Because I swear they made a big deal. They made that announcement at the beginning of the season. I think it was just a finalized schedule of how many games were going to be on and when they're going to be on. I think that's all it was. I enjoyed the fact that the press release described <laughs> described the game this weekend as highly anticipated. <laughs> well, it is now. <laughs> Why is it the, now? Because it's the next game. Oh, I see. Because it's the next game. Yeah, I'm, right. not, I'm highly anticipating the, the um the okay so, all right we got other stuff to talk about yeah um what do you want to talk about first buzz we got the do you want to talk about rebranding do you want to talk about the dynamo being sold <laughs> what do you want to talk about dan well, the, you pick let's yeah, let dan, dan pick yeah. I, I just like that the run sheet actually says other stuff in red crayon that's true there's it no does. red crayon stop with the red crayon do you when you write in crayon? Do you write in your uh, non-dominant hand? Man, I don't even write anymore. Ever, I type everything. <laughs> no, you voice text. Yeah, I do voice text a lot. I don't write with a pen. You may be worse at voice texting than you are handwriting. It's because I way. talk too fast. Yeah. If Buzz ever <laughs> says anything in a tweet or in Discord or anything that sounds vaguely offensive, it's because it's voice text. It's yeah. misheard him. <laughs> it's yeah. because Google Voice has misinterpreted what he said. I want to start with Roman Torres having another hat trick. That's what I want to start with. Yeah. Okay. Tell us yeah. all about that. That's the premier kid who oh, I know had who like he is. four hat tricks. You know, he had another hat trick in the States Cup. I think it's fascinating that Dallas is fielding a U20 team. It's a premier team. It's not academy players uh, in the States Cup. I think that's very cool. It's all guys that are in college now or guys like Roman who took a gap year. He had another hat trick in the semifinal. I think it's wow. awesome that they're doing that. <laughs> what is this like the fifth? hat trick you've reported yeah. on that guy since Dallas Cup? He had four in the Dallas Cup and this is the fifth one that, I'm, that wow. I know of. Um, somebody asked me if he was going to be a homegrown signing. I was like, well, no, he's not an academy player, so he can't be, but um, I think he's going to, the rumor has that he's going to go, that he was going to go over pre-COVID and, and try and pick up with some lower division European teams. I'm sure that's what he's going to do once now that he can travel Why again. Why is but, he not an academy player? I don't know. Um, I Someone has told me there's some politics going on there. I, I have no idea about that. He does play as a 10. It is a position that they have a whole lot of talent. You know, it's a 10 or an 8, and they got a bags of guys in there. So it could just be a question of numbers. I mean, it's like it's like the guys that play striker that they didn't bring along because they had Pepe. I mean, there's some great players that they haven't brought along because they had guys that are better. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know, Roman Torres has got some ability and he's got some game for him in terms of showing up big time in big games. I love that. I love that he's gotten a chance with North Texas. I love that you'll probably see him again with North Texas before he leaves. Probably. I mean, he's, you know, it's just a fun story that a guy that's from the premier side instead of the Academy side is doing great things. I love it. Hmm. Okay. And uh, we saw the news today that a guy out of New York is uh, buying a percentage of the ownership for the Houston Dynamo at about $400 million, and the Dash, too, right? It's both yeah. the women's and the men's team. But not the stadium. But not the stadium. Yeah. That seems like a real bargain to me. It is, given that an MLS team costs you $300 million. 
I, I knew that there were some rumors that there was some sales stuff going on, but with all the rebranding and all the oddities that's been going on there and the just lack of getting anybody to show up to those games despite the fact that they have a cool stadium and a very good location uh, in many ways I think is a, a way more damning story than what's happening with Dallas up in Frisco yeah. um, I it, it just uh, I, it was interesting somebody was willing to put up 400 million dollars although I still think that's somewhat of a bargain based on how the the value of these things have just continued to increase it'll, it'll probably rebrand again that's <laughs> Yeah, well, who knows? Um, okay, and then uh, did you guys want to spend any time talking about the crew rebrand and then not rebrand and then kind of rebrand? Only the only the sense that I think it's it shows the power fans can have when you have a legitimately engaged fanatical fan base. You know that they made the owner the owner smart enough to recognize that he was tone deaf and missed it. Chicago owners didn't do that, for example. So. You know, but they did that. Chicago's rebranded. I know, but again. they didn't go backwards though. Like this crew, when they're like, "Okay, we get it, cruise in." Like the fire, were still like they trashed the logo and all that stuff. I mean, I guess that. Well, I guess that's what they no, did here Chica- too. Right? Yeah. Chicago actually, I think, has done a really good job of being open and transparent about the process of redoing the logo again. They've been yeah. putting out yeah. uh, documents and papers and. All kinds of stuff about and, the process. And I guess they kept the fire name, which is what everyone really pushed back on. So, Correct. No, I mean, the Chicago. He, um, yeah, but they, they well, did keep... That wasn't really in doubt, was it? It was just that that logo was terrible and, and the, the colors. You know, that's the funny thing about the crew piece of this is that my sense is, is that the outrage really wasn't over the logo, which it... Sh- that should have been equal to it. It was just simply about the removing the removal of the term crew as officially part of the name. That was stupid. Why would you? I mean, they, they kind of took it to. I mean, let, let's talk like in some weird suboptimal way. They actually went more European than most of the rebrands because they were like, hey, we get to have a nickname that isn't part of the actual team name. Right, like Red Devils, or meanwhile the crew fans are all like, "No, still Columbus Crew, <laughs> still acknowledge 1996, please." I like the little 96 on the new logo, rather than yeah. whatever the little goatee was or whatever. Well, I think the triangle had something to do with some element of the new stadium. I think oh, that's the that reason for okay. the the shape of the sea being like a carabiner as well. Oh, maybe that's what the, the, mm. the stadium reference was. I know that the shape of the overall badge is the Ohio State flag, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it all seemed very weird to me. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad the ownership was at least uh, uh, aware, self-aware enough that they had to do something about it. Um, I, had I guess this, the question I have coming off the back of it really was with all these teams rebranding, I don't know how you guys. I'm curious how you guys feel about the FC Dallas brand. Would you be interested in a rebrand, or would you be happy to stick with what it is now? Well, I I said all along, if if FC Dallas, if a fan of this club had one thing to never worry about, it's this club rebranding. As long as the Hunts are owners, because that's I, I guarantee you on the list of things that they would think about over the course of a business week, that's absolutely the thing at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I probably would agree with that. No, but I'm just curious what you two guys think. I mean, do you like the, the FC Dallas brand? Dan I'll let Dan Pete? go first. Dan? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's a little bit boring. Um, 
you know, I think we we kind of had this uh, that discussion in the in the Discord server. I actually like the logo. Um, I think it's very well thought out. The ball, uh, you know, the very sleek representation of the Shawnee Trail with the uh, the Longhorn and having the '96 in there, having the the burn flame. There's a lot of a lot of good elements uh, in like a a classic shape of a logo. That's not the the roundel we see everywhere these days and. You know, you see it from afar, and it's that's FC Dallas, uh, which you know not a lot of teams can say right now. Uh, oh, second oldest logo in the league, but I think, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I think you know, if you look at what I did around that, I think they got a good start there, and then you know the inconsistency with the kit, the mascot being a, a goofy cartoon ball that somehow has a six pack and pecs weirdly um, <laughs> yeah and you he know there's a lot just... of tex hooper does a, like a thousand setups a day dan and and if you Don't believe be all the songs that come out of the supporters section he does a lot of coke and he shoots pornography um, <laughs> oh, I missed that. There used to be a time where the guy in the suit would actually pull out uh, when it was there's only one Tex Hooper walking along wearing a thong. He would actually pull out like a lady's thong out of his shorts and throw it into the crowd. But I think the uh, front office got a little bit upset at that getting on camera. Uh, then I think that guy ended up losing the job. And how am I just now hearing about this? I have never heard that story. Before. I think he was still in New Orleans at the time. Oh it gosh. was like a running thing. Every week, another thong would come out. That's um, a good bit. And then he used to get, uh, and then he'd do like puffing motions when it was. Uh, uh, what was the other one? It was something it about was one drugs. There was guess. one about doing uh, smoking a bong, <laughs> and he'd do that as well. But yeah, yeah. And you wonder why that got fired? Family awesome, friendly, Tex Hooper. But, you know, it was always kind of silly, like little things like that, The, you know, not really knowing how to celebrate a goal. Oh, let's have a cow brand leather because that <laughs> makes perfect. You know, there were always like very, very silly things, whether it's even little things like the fonts being inconsistent and there being 20,000 different shades of red on the website when, you know, you've got these uh, names like Bovine Blue, Shawnee Silver and Republic Red, like just... You know, they're, they're, anyone that's worked with a brand guide kind of should know is a very rigid thing because you're making the brand that much more prestigious, which then helps you to spread the word of that brand. And there's probably, you know, 95% of people in DFW you could show the FC Dallas logo to and they'd be like, what the hell is that? Or it's, oh, that, that's a team my kid played against. Yeah, I, I, you know, all these years on, I've become just kind of numb and used to all of it. I'll never forget the day when Buzz called me. I think it was on a business. I was in a rental car, and Buzz called and said they announced the they're getting ready to announce the rebrand. And I was like, what? Because I, 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 I remember us being like all in a tizzy over what it was going to be. We were so excited that there was some kick ass thing headed our way. Yeah. You, remember this, Buzz? Like yeah. it was. It was like it was like waiting for them to announce the Pope. We were waiting for the white or the black smoke to appear out of the chimney, and it was like, oh, I can't wait to see what this is. And then it was the most milk toast, mundane, weirdo. I don't know. I mean, I used to call it the worst sports marketing decision in Dallas sports history, and I still believe that to be true. But 
all these years later, it clearly is a thing that it, you know is a thing that people are aware of. And I and when I went to a tournament in Vegas a couple of years ago, there was an adult tournament going on in one part of Vegas and a kids tournament going on another, and there was kids in FC Dallas gear everywhere. And I will never forget seeing some kids from a team from Colorado see other kids from FC Dallas walk by, and they were like, oh, those are kids from FC Dallas. I bet they're really good. And I was like, okay, then it, that that all, it's, it's, it's just ground itself into place. But in terms of branding, I agree with uh, Dan. The, the logo, it's okay. But everything else in terms of the branding is just a total and utter disaster in my mind. It's just, it's just difficult. And it's largely because they just don't do anything with it, and 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 it's only established itself just over the course of time, not because they've done anything creative or good with it. All right, so now let's uh, keep going on Buzz's crayon written run sheet. Uh, the GA Cup. Yeah. I thought that, are they not doing that in Dallas now? Is it nope. they've moved it? Yep, they're moving it around a little bit. It's in Atlanta. Yeah. Or I bet Andy Swift is relieved that he didn't have to manage that anymore. Yeah, I bet he is too. That thing was a whip. I mean, they wanted to try and give it to some other people. It may come back here eventually, I'm sure, you know, but um, it's going to be Atlanta. And FC Dallas is going to play Atlanta United, LA Galaxy, and the Columbus Crew. And this uh, is the U17 teams? U17 team, yeah. And this, you know, in the past they've had international teams, so there may not be international teams because of COVID, obviously. Right. But still, this will be a more concentrated event higher pressure event they'll probably bring everybody back down to their appropriate age groups so it'll be a good competition okay is it is it being uh streamed or broadcast anywhere do you know they have been in the past they've been um and now that i'm let me think about that a second i think there's a there's a selection of games that are going to be on mls's website i can't remember the exact number maybe 25 games it's certainly the later round games i'm sure they will put fc dallas on because that's a high marquee name in the academy world so I, I guarantee you some of those exactly games what i was on. talking about earlier. yeah they'll be See? out for sure i would imagine i you was know, I, yeah i was I, wrong about that branding it worked great it's a marquee name now it's a marquee name in academy it's not a marquee name you know mm-hmm. outside of that unfortunately they don't do a good job of selling to the that age group you know tickets so there's that but hey that that counts on the 18 to 49 demographic as long as you're talking about the under 19 team well, is there anybody? Is there anybody on the under seventeen team that everybody should be on the lookout for? Oh yeah, or is that a, a particularly good team? Oh yeah, no, that's really good. Um, the O fours of that group have already been moved up to the nineteens because the O fives is one of the two stacked and loaded classes: O five and O six. Mm. I mean, Corcoran's an O six, but the O fives are a bunch of good players on that team. Um, you know, how many of them are going to come good and turn into pros is yet to be seen. But that's a really loaded group. Um, Diego Hernandez was the is the leader of that team. He's the one that made his debut last year with North Texas when he was a U15. So he's for sure good. I like Anthony Ramirez on that team, although he's a little undersized. That's the team that's got Knight Pickering on it. Will Cochran travel with this team too? Uh, no, he'll be down with the U15s for whatever they're doing, or he'll be with North Texas, one or the other. Um, you know. <laughs> He plays it's with North Texas. Or he, well, yeah, he's, he trains and plays with North Texas. Or if there's a big U15 thing, then he'll go back and play because he's their, you know, big, huge Mongo player. So, you know. Oh, I would just think they would move him up to the 17s for a tournament of this uh, importance. Um, he often does play up with – well, in the past, he would often play up with that group. It just depends on 
you know, wh- whether they think he'll get more growth from this tournament or whether they think something the F-15s are doing is better. You know, they, they move guys like him get to move up and down between the groups a lot. Um, you know, for the Dallas Cup, they put him back with the 15s, you know, so it just depends on what else is going on. So it's entirely possible. Yeah, he could be. That'd be cool. I'll, I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll try and keep an eye on that. And if he is, I'll let you guys know and you can watch. But that, I mean, that 17 team's got a lot of talent. You know, there's lots of guys on that team that are worth watching. Probably as many as five or six guys that could end up being pros still from that group. Um, maybe not like in the next year, but in the next couple of years. I mean, ostensibly, Antonio Carrera is their goalkeeper who's with North Texas and FC Dallas all the time. He's that 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Now, um, I in particular, uh, but I think all of us would agree, this has been a rather uh, fussy episode of the podcast. Lots of fussing and and wailing and gnashing of teeth and kind of an overall negative vibe. I'd like to end the pod on something positive. Do you, Buzz or Dandy, have something positive and uplifting to end the podcast with? Well, yeah, North, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've uh, been talking a little bit about MPSL uh, season previews. Uh, Nico did one for Irving FC. They kicked their season off uh, at the weekend. I've got one coming up for uh, Texas United. Uh, yep. They've they've uh, they're kicking their season off in USL League Two uh, this coming weekend. They'll also be uh, having their first home game the Wednesday after. Uh, they're actually kind of doing some big things. They uh, they they never had a youth team, but suddenly they're in uh, the next USL Academy and MLS next season. Uh, so they're, they're kind of setting things up right now. And they, uh, speaking to uh, Ariz Alani, the uh, head coach and the technical director, you know, they really are trying to be like true to their name, this whole Texas United thing. They've had, uh, you know, they're playing their games in Richardson. Their front office is in Frisco. They've had trials in in Fort Worth and a bunch of places in between. Like, they're they're really trying to go for every young player that the FC Dallas isn't picking up because, you know, FC Dallas picks up most of its players from Collin County. Hmm. Okay. That sounds gonna... more like a promotion than something positive, but okay. no, I, I just think it's it. positive to see the, you know, the growth of the game in the area. And I, I was really kind of impressed when I spoke to, to our as a, you know, it was a, it was a month or two ago now, but uh, you know, it's going to be cool seeing two, two teams start a season and, uh, you know, and both of them really kind of bringing on on bigger things. Okay, I accept. My positive was North Texas Soccer Club got a win last weekend. They seem to have found their center back pairing. Oh, good. Which moves Allison back into the midfield, so that's solidified. So things are moving in the right direction. Eric Quill, of course, has got things going like he always does. Rebuilds that team and gets it moving the right way. So they they're at Toronto this weekend. So that'll be that's always a one of the other teams in the league that actually uses some of their, a lot of their Academy kids. So there actually will be some talent. Like there'll probably be a guy or two in that game that you'll see playing with Toronto within a year or two, you know, just like Dallas does young talent. All right. Toronto in Broward County, Florida. Yeah. I don't know where the game is. I assume it's probably (laughs) something like that in Florida. (laughs) 
Uh, my positive uh, thing I'm bringing to the table is from our guest last week, Steve Fenn, who put out another kick-ass tableau graphic today, which is titled, MLS is not an oligarchy. There is little relationship between wages and results, and it's a beautiful... Have you guys seen this yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is really beautiful little graphical uh, design that he put together that essentially is trying to prove out that how much money you spend doesn't necessarily correlate into good results. And if you dig around and you move your cursor over the dots, there are on the graph there are dots and then there are stars, and the stars represent teams that won the Supporter Shield and or MLS Cup. And if you go all the way back, all the way to the upper left corner in the quadrants called low wages, good results, the star farthest all the way up into this quadrant, the 2016 FC Dallas Supporter <laughs> Shield winning team. Oh, that is positive. I didn't, I didn't notice that. I'll take a look. Low That's wages, beautiful. good results. It's so lovely. It's so beautiful. I it miss- is the FC Dallas way. I miss Oscar so much. <laughs> hey, thanks to Pappy Check for the music. We do love the music. And don't forget that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, the brand new FC Dallas Prime Blue jerseys, which these are the new reci- like annual recycle specials they do. Promo? Yes. yes. Okay. They haven't, they haven't announced these yet, have they? No, but they're going to be on sale. But we, So we don't know what they look like. or any. Dan, have you seen any designs or mock-ups of them? Yes. Uh, they are the uh, 2020 template of the Candivo jersey, which has like a brush stroke pattern on the front and that thick color from the, the jersey last season. They'll be in blue with an orange logo. Hmm. Okay. And then something called the Pride pre-match tops, which I believe are that kind of tie-dyed design for um, yep. their inclusive uh, program yep. or promotion. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, yep. both of those things are in stock now. And don't forget, if you want to go buy them because you're a listener of Third Degree of the Podcast, you get 25% off at Soccer90.com. You just got to use the code Third Degree at the checkout all right well i feel like we ended on a pot we stuck the landing guys so dan thank you today (laughs) for your time and your good humor and all your positive energy sir thank you for your energy thank you for thanking me and buzz thank you sir and hey congratulations on getting to talk to lucci in person for the first time in a year that's a big deal yeah it's like being an actual reporter it's kind of fun i wonder if he'll do it again next week with you I mean, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, it depends on the schedule, probably. Yeah, Unless okay. I get him in trouble for talking to me now. Why talking about it? <laughs> he got a finger to the face when yeah. he got into the building. He might get wagged at for being like, you broke the well, rules. It's like, come Buzz, on. you did make the media call happen late. Well, not late on time. Yeah. Well, as much as I've had to wait on those calls, like for 30 minutes or an hour, sometimes for people to show up, I'm I, everyone else can wait this time. <laughs> and thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully after a win, right? We're going to get a win at home against our RSL on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. It's not that bad. Stay positive. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast.